Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. A colonel and a command sergeant major walk into a virtual podcast studio to discuss the meaning of leadership in the contemporary U.S. Army. What could sound like the unpromising opening of a joke on MWR open mic night is our reality today at A Better Peace, a reality made more interesting by the fact that the colonel and command sergeant major in question also happen to be twin brothers, Derek and TJ Baird. The Army likes to think of itself as a family, but rarely do we have two members of the same generation reaching high levels simultaneously at both the non-commissioned and commissioned levels. Drawing on their unique perspectives, the Baird brothers are also working on a book together, Leadership, a Twin Perspective. Here at A Better Peace, we seek to highlight different aspects of Army life and thus are especially happy to have the Baird brothers join us to discuss their Army experiences and what they tell us about the nature and character of modern military leadership. Colonel Derek Baird is currently a member of the U.S. Army War College Class of 2023 and recently celebrated his 26th year in the Army four as an enlisted man, 22 as a field artillery officer. He has deployed on three combat tours, twice to Iraq, once to Afghanistan, and once to Europe for Operation Atlantic Resolve. After graduation, he will go to Fort Sill to assume the assistant commandant position followed by Fort Sill Garrison Command in 2024. He and his wife, Jolinda, have been married for 19 years and have two dogs, Layla and Joker. Command Sergeant Major T.J. Baird currently serves as the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency's Command Senior Enlisted Leader. During his 30 years in the Army, in addition to positions at both USASOC and TRADOC, Command Sergeant Major Baird deployed to Indo-PACOM, NORTHCOM, SOUTHCOM, CENTCOM, and AFRICOM. He has numerous rotations to operations Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom, Freedom's Sentinel, and various National Command Authority-directed missions. Command Sergeant Major Baird is married to Command Sergeant Major Joanne Nauman, who is a Special Operations Command Korea Command Sergeant Major, and they have a daughter, Veronica. Welcome to A Better Peace, gentlemen. Hey, thanks, Ron, for having us on. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks, Ron. This is going to be amazing. It's, see, it, it already is, TJ, right? Uh, but I So I got to just start with the basic question. How do two twin guys, who I understand, whose father serves in the United States Navy, of all things, decide to join the United States Army? Who wants to go first? Ron, that is a great question. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we grew up in Virginia Beach. Uh, like you alluded to, our, our dad was in the Navy for a long time. You know, Navy life is great. Didn't want to be on a ship or any stretch of imagination. We, uh, we did a Tiger cruise in the early 80s in Japan and quickly realized I don't like, uh, I like water. We grew up <laughs> swimming. We grew up at the beach. Just don't like being on a big ship in the middle of the ocean. In the uh, in the Japanese Sea, when the water's coming over the top of the carrier, not a fan. 
I believe I started the chain reaction. I'll leave it at that. Uh, at a, the closing ceremony <laughs> on the last day that we were, uh, we were there on the ship. So, uh, yeah. And I think Tom's, uh, we, we're writing this book and we've got this really great vignette that we're working through. And uh, I, I won't leave it to Tom to talk about it. And I'll probably pipe in here, but uh, it is a fun vignette. Kind of talks about, you know, the prelude or our army career. It's really funny. All right. TJ, I, I got to hear this now. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, we grew up with the same six kids since we were in the fourth grade. In fact, uh, we still talk every day. Uh, we've got a little, yeah, we've got our, our own little chat group, send pictures, well wishing for families and, and everything else. So it's, it's an amazing group of individuals who are very successful in life. And uh, when we were kids, we never thought we'd make it this far because you always sit around, lay around in the grass. Like, what would you do when you're 40? Well, now we're well past that. And look where we all are today. For the, opening of the book it is tells a story of uh some mischief we'll just go with that and uh one night and spending six seven hours running uh, away from uh several individuals and then getting back home and wait meeting our father at dawn on the front porch and then uh, discipline ensued from there so that is the really the impetus of the book and i would say probably for me is one of the reasons why i joined the military uh talented and focused or but i just didn't like school uh, i thought it was very boring and, and interestingly enough i joined the army and i spent my first 18 months one learning a language and then moving on to my advanced individual training mm -hmm. and then going on from there so not wanting to be in school going to a school but then realizing oh my gosh this is for my career I did not want to fail because I did not want to go needs of the army. I actually wanted to be a Spanish linguist in the army and I wanted to jump out of airplanes, even though I am deathly afraid of heights. And so the army gave me the opportunity to push myself mentally and to overcome a lot of physical challenges when it comes to looking down from a tower 34 feet in the air and realizing, wow, this is pretty high up. I really enjoyed that uh, first part of my career, and it has been with me ever since. Interesting. So, so TJ, you, so you, you wanted to, you jumped out of airplanes, whereas Derek, you threw things, great distances and great heights in field artillery. Is this, uh, is yeah, that fair. So, uh, fair. It's fair. Uh, you know, it's like the golf course, uh, range and uh, range estimation, and you know, my I'm better at field artillery than I'm at golf. Let's see about that. Uh, but uh, so I really started off. Like Tom, I really, I did enjoy school. Uh, we we took separate paths after high school, but eventually merged, which is really great. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we're we're athletic nerds. Uh, I would say athletic gamer nerds at, at, at our heart. And uh, so I, I'm a big science nerd at heart. And uh, in college, I had a buddy of mine uh, who joined the army and worked at Fort Detrick, Maryland, to do Ebola research. I thought that would have been this would be a fantastic opportunity to continue my education and then see what the army life is like. Uh, Tom would come and visit a lot in school. Uh, and, you know, I saw his growth, his uh, confidence, his manners. It's just, just, just a short time when I was in college and he was in, in school, he grew a lot, you know? And so I saw that. I was like, I, I could do this. And uh, being, being physically fit, we just said, you know, let me, let me do this. So I joined the army and uh, I thought I was going to go to Fort Detrick, had a great interview there. But needs of the Army, I went to the United States Army Aeromedical Research Lab at Fort Rucker, Alabama. I enjoyed mm -hmm. uh, my, my, my uh, short time there, about three, three and a half years. Uh, but it wasn't the research I, I wanted to do. 
Uh, and then I, I also looked out and said, hey, I, I think I could provide more to the Army. I think I could do more for for me, uh, learn a little bit more about leadership and, and what that looks like and try to do an expanded role in the Army. So I went to OCS, I applied and went to Officer Cannon School. And uh, I originally thought I was either going to go the Medical Corps route or MI. Uh, but the army, my third choice was FA cause you have to do that for combat arms. Right. And so, uh, I joined the, the field artillery ranks and I have never looked back and, and I'm grateful that I did. It has absolutely provided a great opportunity to, to learn about, um, you know, leadership and all its traits. It kept me physically fit for sure. Lifting heavy rounds and doing stuff is uh, never easy if you, if you're not physically fit. Uh, and it's kept me mentally fit as well. So I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, 26 years, not as long as the old man there, Tom, but uh, <laughs> 26 years, uh, it is, uh, it's been a great challenge. So Derek, did you, did you finish college, then enlist and I then did. go to OCS? So in, in, that, in that order, I see. I did. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So have you two ever been stationed in the same place? Twice. Twice. All right. So uh, right out of so my AIT was long. Basic training, was, I think it was eight weeks. And my AIT was uh, about a year. Mm-hmm. So 26 weeks at San Antonio. And the second 26 weeks at Fort Bragg uh, at the hospital there. So lived maybe four or five miles from Tom's house. Fast forward, take battalion command in 2018. And lo and behold, my brother is there as a 504th MI Brigade Command Sergeant Major. <laughs> Here's the best part. Lived on the same street at Fort in uh, in Colleen, Texas, Silver Spring Road or Silver Spring Drive, a mile, like exactly a mile away. We haven't lived that close since like '92. We graduated high school, so it was really great. So for you two, Fort Hood was actually the good place. Is that was that is that fair? Is that what the uh, is that what the sign says? The great place. The great place. The great place. Yes. Well, and I'm, I'm you're you're probably. You're probably not surprised I'm going to ask this, TJ. But what's it? What was it like the first time you had to salute your brother? Oh yeah, that was a that's a that is a great uh, comment there. So I actually missed his graduation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was overseas at the time, and I think the first time I saluted him, I was uh, in up here in Maryland. And I I gotta tell you, I can't. It, it actually took a while because I was in civilian clothes for about 16 years of my career. So I think I actually put a uniform on specifically to go and salute my brother uh, because I thought it was going to be a cool thing to do. I ran home, grabbed my uniform, came back and in front of the entire audience. In fact, I let them know, hey, this is the first time I have the opportunity to actually salute my brother, (laughs) who at the time was a captain in the Army. I said, hey, this is a great opportunity for me and I want you all to see this the first time I'm going to pay honor and tribute to my brother. Uh, for an incredible opportunity for him going from the enlisted corps to the officer corps. I saluted him right there. Even though it was uh, my promotion ceremony, it was an opportunity for me to actually, again, uh, my honor and my privilege to do that for my brother. It was really cool. That's great. That's great. Well, and and so how would you say, so the two of you, right, you're writing this book about leadership and you both obviously have had plenty of different kinds of experiences, both being the leaders of organizations and being led, let's put it that way. Um, and how would you say, how often do you compare your experiences to each other? Yeah, I'll take this one here. Yeah, first. Sure. So we actually, um, I think this goes back to Derek's earlier comment. I think this is how I got him to recruit him in the army. Cause I spent a lot of time on his college camp it was only about four and a half hours away. So that was great. And I always got to talk about army life. 
And then as he grew up in the army, as an enlisted soldier, moved into the officer corps, uh, we actually compare notes quite a bit, especially now as we're a lot more senior. Mm -hmm. I would say as I was a, as he was a captain, again, go back to my times of Sergeant first class, uh, did a lot of back and forth on, Hey, what's going on in my company? What would you do as a, what, uh, what would you do in my shoes? How should I, and this is really for Derek, you know, how should I uh, engage my non-commissioned officer corps? And then likewise, and I'm going through either a resourcing uh, decision or resourcing recommendations, I would reach out to him and say, hey, I've got some resourcing questions. And I would like to bounce some ideas off you. So my, my brother has been a great sounding board for me throughout my entire life. And well, that continues in the Army as well. So that's just really, I'd say, two examples that we do back and forth when we talk about leadership and uh, in life in general in the Army. I think what's really great is as a young lieutenant, you know, Going from uh, Alyssa rank to, through OCS as a as a as a young officer, you know Tom Tom and, and several other folks. You don't forget where you came from, right? And so that's always in the back of your mind as a uh, as now as a grizzled veteran uh, officer. I think a lot of things like Tom said, you're starting off. It's it's you know the good or discipline. You you kind of talk about that. You know, hey, I got this problem. How do you solve it? How, what did you see as a first sergeant or as a platoon sergeant? How do I talk to folks? What does that look like? Then as we got older, you know, talking about vision, policy, objectives, I think that's where it changes a little bit more to organizational. So you go from like sort of tactical, like direct level stuff to organizational uh, leadership. And and it's really been beneficial as we bounce ideas off each other, especially as we move forward in our career. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the great things that we were, we've been able to do, especially when we were both at Ford Hood, was he would come and visit and give a lot of insight to my young NCOs and my sergeant major. And, and you know, so the sergeant major network is strong and, and it's really great and vice versa. I would go visit him and, and talk with his, his folks and they would see us interact at command that, you know, the uh, command sergeant major, but really the NCO officer relationship. Yeah. I think that's key. And we, we, I think we do a fairly good job of that in the army, but uh, it, it can be lost if we don't, you know, if we don't really, make it a priority to do that you know so if we don't make it a priority then it's not a priority but that officer in relationship is probably the biggest vital key to success in the military well and i would say that uh, in a lot of the analysis say about the current the ongoing war in ukraine one of the criticisms of other people's armies um, is that they don't have the kind of uh, established NCO core that the that the United States does, and that the, that relationship between uh, non commissioned officers and uh, and officers is crucial for mission command, right? Because it allows smaller units to lead and be led effectively. And so, how much of that then, when you're when you're putting the book together, um, how much of it is consciously a dialogue between a between an officer and an NCO, and how much of it is a dialogue between two brothers who happen to have decided to join the army? Go ahead, yeah, I think it's actually a really good mix. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is uh, going to be a lot of back and forth just between two brothers. But I would tell you, in those conversations as brothers, there a lot of it is about leadership. And it mm -hmm. eventually comes back to work and work life. Because you know, 30 years in the Army for me, 26, in the year, 26 years in the Army for Derek, a lot of what we've done is Army. And a lot of what we've done through our careers is lead through uh, lead soldiers and this is where our discussions lead. And so it does become the NCO, it does become the, uh, the officer. Uh, and there are times though, when he'll say to me or I'll say to him, hey, I just need to talk to my brother for right now. I need someone to help me through this process as my brother. And I actually, I wanted to give a shout out to my wife to make sure that uh, I learned that from her. 
uh, we have these discussions, hey, do you need a command sergeant major? Do you need your husband? And so I do this as a preemptive as with my brother. Say, hey, man, I need to talk to you as my brother. If we can just pull the hat away from the officer. And he does that for me because as non-commissioned officers and as officers, we're just soldiers in general. We are problem solvers. And if someone comes with a problem, starts talking about a problem, we're just starting to start to churn in our head. And sometimes that is not the appropriate action. Sometimes just say, hey, I used to just sit back, listen to understand. And then if and when needed to provide the appropriate feedback uh, to the other person. So the book is going to be a little bit of that mm -hmm. uh, back and forth there throughout the whole time. A lot of it's going to be each chapter will start off with a vignette and then we'll break the entire vignette down with our uh, professional or personal opinions throughout our time. And it's going to be fun. And just like my career, his career, it's a lot of fun. It's been great. I uh, came in on four years, was going to go out and go to college. I'm still 30 years later, my first four-year contract, I like to say, because the Army has been that much fun and has been challenging and giving me a lot of opportunities. And now I've got a really good opportunity to uh, pay that forward and pay that back to the to the Army. I like it because, um, like Tom mentioned, it's a great. he's a great sounding board. And like he said, not just him, but but our spouses. Like my wife, Jolinda, is, is very much a sounding board because she is not in the Army. And... Uh, her, her oh, thing oh, is, oh yes she is right but yeah, but, I, but, I, but i know for the sure. point that you're but i know the point yeah that you're making. yeah it, for sure she she has lived <laughs> the army life for quite some time and uh you know 19 years married 20 years uh, together total so she absolutely is and she's invested a lot of her time and energy into that and uh for her using her as a sounding board is great because she gives me the what i would consider not just the spouse but the civilian perspective because like tom said we, we can bounce ideas off and, and be a sounding board, but uh, you can get confirmation bias that way sometimes right. too. Although sure. sometimes not because uh, his perspective is absolutely different than mine when it comes to how what we've seen uh, in our in our pathways through the army. So having those two perspectives with Tom and then uh, and my wife as well, it's, it's been really, it really kind of, uh, it really sees different perspective and different sides of, 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 uh, of a story. Sure. So it's really great. Uh, and I think one of the other things uh, Tom mentioned too with the book is, Ron, you may know this, but uh, one of our big things, we're very high energy people. You know, we're, we're, I was tier one extrovert, right? You know, and so part of the, the theme of the book is managing energy and how do you do that individually <laughs> and then organizationally, right? You know, and so yeah. what does that look like and, and what does energy really mean? Uh, and I think that you're going to see that throughout the book is is how do you manage that? What does that look like? Uh, then how do you rebuild it? So uh, it, it's going to be great. And like Tom said, the vignettes are, are where it's going to start. It's going to be great. Well, and I can't help thinking, right? Because not only you know do you have this unique experience, the two brothers, the two twins, 26 years common in the army, but uh, you know, 30 years uh, for TJ. That's not just any 30 years, right? This is 30 years in which the United States Army has been, let's just say, especially busy. Um, you know, Just when I listed off all the places that you'd been deployed, uh, uh, TJ and all your all your assignments, right? I made a point of of listing all of the cocoms that have been graced by your presence. But how do you feel when you talk to people? When you talk to other younger uh, fellow soldiers, or when you talk to older veterans? So, so older veterans who were in the service in a time when the army was perhaps, let's say, a little more a little more stable. We're not in the midst of the of the multiple deployments that we that you have experienced. Or when you talk to younger guys, younger men and women you know, who are thinking about what they're likely to experience. Now, how do you how do you imagine your experience sort of fits in between what are likely to be 
very different, very different experiences, both before and after your time in the army? Yeah, Ron, that's a great question. Uh, so I, when I came in the nineties, it was the garrison army and then we shifted over into a wartime army. And in fact, I was actually deployed overseas when the towers fell. So that was a, a very interesting experience being overseas at the, at, uh, on 9-11 and then mm-hmm. coming home, preparing, and then from there really getting into uh, multiple theaters of uh, across the globe. And so I just tell the story. I tell my story as a, as a young soldier uh, digging 60 pits in the back 40 of uh, Fort, uh, soon to be Fort Liberty, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and then going forward into my time through a, uh, an assessment program, selection program, and then on from there to not, as a non-traditional career in the Army uh, and SOCOM. And then not only do I tell them my story and not all of these successes, but I also tell them my challenges and, the, and my failures as well, because we don't get here to where we are without one, A, failing forward in a controlled environment, and two, learning from those experiences. And I talk quite a bit about that. I also talk, I've got four things I generally talk about in my life and leader principles. Smile and the world smiles with you. Be disciplined in everything that we do. Be fit and live life to its fullest. And I could talk for hours in each one of those. I break those down quite a bit with them. Uh, but I also talk about the times, my the dark times in my life where it was very challenging for me. And it really took my daughter, uh, my wife and my brother, especially to rally around me and to help me through some uh, a very significant time and challenge in my life. Because uh, the walls were closing at one point. I didn't think there were too many options left for me. And I sought help, recovered. And I tell them, hey, uh, don't do what I did. Wait so long. Get the help you need as soon as possible. Uh, use your network. Use what's available, all those sources available, and just know that you will not affect your career. I'm a very successful non-commissioned officer in the Army, and I know a lot of people worry about that when it comes to seeking help. Uh, but I tell them my story, and it's pretty raw. And I will tell you what, there are a lot of soldiers who come up afterwards or continue to talk to me afterwards saying, oh, my gosh, that's that's impressive. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and I like to be able to – and that's the stories I tell. That's good. Derek, how about you? What's your reaction to the that sense of – your, your, you have your particular story and how you see it of, of for people coming after you. So join the army again in a sort of garrison like environment, if you will, not, not a whole lot of deployments. So in 2001 I was in the parking lot, uh, driving in fact, back, back from PT, back from my house, really from breakfast because open posts, no guarded gates and nothing like that. And then, uh, the talk show, uh, broadcaster came on the net saying the uh, Twin Towers had gone down. And so now, 20 plus years, we've had a, a very deployed experience. And so I tell young soldiers nowadays is take a look at what you want in the Army. And I say that, to say this, as a battalion commander, my Sergeant Major and I went to, on the, the Wednesday in brief, which is basically like the middle midweek of the week long in processing in brief that, that every soldier has to go through what, uh, through all ranks. So we would meet up with our young soldiers, officers, NCOs, young soldiers, you know, regardless. And we would talk to them about what it means to be in the army. And we take a look at our perspective and I, and I always ask them, you know, what are your goals and what are your, what is your purpose? You know, what, what do you want out of the army and what drives that train? And not the alarm clock and the coffee that gets you up in the morning and gets you out of bed, but really, really drives your train. You know, not to be the best fire support officer or the best number one cannoneer or whatever, but what really drives your train. For me, like my, my purpose is family, whether it's my family, my wife and I, our dogs, stepkids, you know, my immediate family, brothers, sisters, mom, dad, but also the army family. And I look at it and you know, Tom has his core values. I've got five for mine and, you know, have fun with everything that you do. 
built a trusting organization and trust and respect across the board with good character. Be physically, mentally, spiritually fit. So just be fit in general. Have purpose, live your life with purpose and do all this as a part of a team. And then surrounding all that is family. And so what I often take a look at it is whether it's the UCMJ or you just see it in the in the way a soldier at any rank. I look at wayward soldiers. You look at you want to build up a good network. You know the Pareto principle with John Maxwell: eighty percent of your energy or twenty eighty percent of your energy on twenty percent of the people that make your organization great. I also take a look at where are those wayward soldiers that are not doing well, and and what are they doing? What is their purpose and what is their goal? And I'll ask them, especially when folks come to see me for UCMJ. I would ask them, what caused you to do this? What are the things that caused you? to go wayward and do you have a purpose in life? And if not, let's find it and let's get some goals to get you there. And for those that I can see are starting to come off the track and I'll, and I'll talk to the individual themselves if I see it, cause you, you get to know your folks when you're in an organization. And then we'll, we'll bring in the first line supervisor with the commander first sergeant. And we'll try to figure this out together cause you want everybody to do well. Now, there's some folks you got to cut sling load on, unfortunately, you know, that, that just don't want to, adhere to good order, discipline, or purpose and, and light and, and goals. But I think we owe that as a leader in an organization to take a look at what's driving our organization, what's driving our young soldiers, what makes them tick, and integrating them into our system. Or do we maybe change our system and integrate them? Because you know generational uh, communication is different. And so you got to figure out what that looks like. And, and I think like with everybody, if you have a good purpose and you got goals to reach that, I think that really truly helps out, not just the individual. We look at the health of the individual and the health of the organization. And when those two marry up, you get uh, mission happiness. And Tom and I, actually, I got that from Tom, the mission happiness part, because we talk about it all the time. Mission happiness is key. But you have the healthy organization and a healthy individual. And I think it starts with purpose and goals. Yeah. Well, you know, and you both talked about, you know, being, being extroverted, right? Br- bringing energy into a conversation, right? I can tell from, from our conversation, but, um, that as a leader, right, there is often the challenge, uh, that the leader is supposed to show cool distance rather than warm (laughs) engagement. And I am curious, how did, how have the two of you managed, uh, so managed your extroversion, let's say, um, in, in your roles as leaders? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. So I am, if it comes to cool distance, I have totally failed on that one. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally failed. Uh, I, I don't cool distance anything. I am, I am there. You get all of TJ. Uh, I'm, uh, we we talk about authentic leadership. We talk about all this. You get me. And what often happens? I don't want to say often happens. What what can happen is you will actually outpace an organization. And that's where we talk about managing energy is you bring energy into an organization because you want the organization to meet its goals. You want the people in your organization to meet their personal and their professional goals as well. But if you don't manage your, our energy as leaders and we have a lot of energy, you can actually start really pushing your organization, the people in it to the brink. And uh, I have done that in the past and I actually ensure that I try, I try not to do that now. And I actually have, there's, for me, uh, internally and externally, there's obviously signs that I look for. And I also talk to my wife as well. She's a great sign on board, again, as a, as a fellow command sergeant major. And then as well as my brother's another senior senior leader is, hey, I'm trying to do this, this, and this. Timeline expectations. 
there are obviously a host of other mentors that I reach out to as well on certain things. And so when it comes to managing energy uh, between cool and distant and here you get all of TJ, I'm where you get all of TJ. And so I failed miserably on the other piece of it. And I'm going to hand this one over to Derek. It's hard to disagree with any of that. So I'm not, you know, and so uh, you, you get, you get, you get what you get. You know, you get a hundred percent of who we are. And uh, I'm with Tom. I failed the cool and distant because authentic leadership is, is key. And, and this is who we are. But over time, it's definitely, uh, we've left learned, definitely learned to manage it, whether it's um, taking a step back or telling people, Hey, for the next, the next couple of weeks, this is the amount of, work. I mean, I, we're looking for this energy. And then how do you step that off and then bring it back up? And, you know, different organizations are different based off of who's there, experience levels, et cetera, what they can handle. You know, death side leadership is never a good thing. Uh, and I think going out and talking to people, you know, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, young, young folks nowadays are all about the video chat and some of these immersive environments to do that. That's fine. But oftentimes I think face-to-face, you know, as an old fuddy-duddy works really well, whether it's face-to-face physically or face-to-face video, fine. But I think getting out there and talking to folks really matters. And I, and I think I would submit most folks like that in some form or fashion. Uh, being cool and distant and being standoffish, you know, I, I remember back as a young soldier, that, that was the that was what leaders did. They kind of stood off. And you know, as a young enlisted, enlisted soldier, you, you talked to your NCO and that was it. And you, you didn't see the officer. But yeah, it's some of that's changed for sure. And I think it's a good thing because you, you – you get to see and understand um, what your leadership is doing, what they're all about. Now, break. It doesn't mean that uh, you get to go talk about your personal life with your soldiers either. So you really got to manage that, you know, and understand what that looks like. You want a little peek behind the curtain, but you don't want to open and be, you know, a full peek. And so you, you definitely got to manage uh, that piece of it as well. Well, and 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 I guess that gets to the to the, uh, we're about to the end of this conversation, but this idea about, it's about management, right? It's about knowing your audience, about knowing the circumstances, um, you know, you bring to your, uh, leadership situation, the skills, the personality, you bring who you are, right? You're not going to stop being who you are and you've got to figure out how to make that work for the job that needs to get done. Um, and so for both of you, I'll end with this question, and that is, what do you see yourselves doing, in addition to finishing this book, of course, and, and, and earning all of the plaudits that it will un, undoubtedly earn, um, but uh, what do you see yourselves doing in the next five years, in the next 10 years? Ron, that is a great question. We talk about this quite a bit. Uh, you know, if the Army deigns to keep me on longer after command, great, and uh, we'll see what that looks like. Um, but if not, my wife and I are looking to retire somewhere on the East Coast, you know, Delaware, Maryland, south of Florida. So we like the weather. We love the beach. And then I think one, I think continuing to write, hopefully finish the book. We haven't already done it. Um, maybe go and teach. I, I've had some uh, some folks ask about that. So looking at maybe potentially teaching or take a look at uh, giving back and and maybe switching over to a contractor side, but I don't know if that's the life for me. I, I, I enjoy teaching and coaching a lot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I could see that happening and then spend a lot of time with my wife. Cause I owe that to her. <laughs> she spent again 20 years with me in the army and it's a uh, work life balance is challenging. Right. And sure. uh, so we're, we're going to work on that more often than not. 
but I, but I think giving back in a, in a teaching capacity is what I'm really looking at doing. Great. TJ, how about you? Yeah, so I'm in the twilight of my career after just over 30 years. And uh, if I get another job after this, I will uh, talk to my wife, actually, and we, together we'll plan and see if uh, I will take it or if I will gracefully retire out of the Army. Either way, I will eventually in five, five-ish years, we'll probably most likely be out of the Army, and I will be the best spouse that I could be supporting my wife. And I will be in that family readiness group, and which will be something new for me as well as not only just uh, retired as an Army soldier, but uh, as a male, because there are very few of us out there as uh, male spouses when it comes to comes to that. So, in fact, I, my wife has broken many a gender and not you know traditional barriers. I broke one. I was the first male spouse at the nominative spouse seminar. I was pretty excited about that. So <laughs> I was uh, I got uh, I got to uh, be called lady and wives quite a bit as part of that. And I really fully better understand the challenges my wife faced in her time in the 26 plus years in the, in the service as well. So it gave me a better understanding to come into the family readiness group as a spouse. And then I would also like to teach. That's one of the things I also want to do with my brother is teach. And uh, what I actually give back to the community as well as in volunteer work. When it comes to construction and everything else like that, for uh, either from a habitat to humanity kind of thing, or uh, doing something that's uh, volunteer work for uh, hum- humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, because I've got a lot of skills uh, garnered over my time in the service. I'd like to bring those back uh, to, to help somebody else, because uh, as our grandfather once told us, not self, but others. And and uh, I use that quite a bit, and my brother has as well. And, and I will continue to do that when I'm long retired out of the Army. So those I'm really looking forward to the next five to 10 years. Well, that sounds great. I mean, to to lead is to serve, uh, to lead is to teach. Uh, and so I'm not surprised the two of you who've been successful leaders are looking and going to be looking for ways to, to uh, serve and to teach in the future. TJ and Derek Baird, thank you for joining us on A Better Peace to talk about your work. I look forward to seeing the book when it comes out. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll have you back on again to talk about it again. But thanks for today. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us your suggestions for future programs. We're always interested in hearing from you. Please take a moment, if you have not yet subscribed to A Better Peace, to subscribe to A Better Peace because, really, why wouldn't you want to subscribe to A Better Peace? And after you have, please rate and review this podcast on your podcatcher of choice because that's how more people can find out about us. We're always interested in growing this community for conversations like this one. And even though this conversation is over, we look forward to welcoming you next time. And so until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granieri. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.